Welcome back to Forwards Backwards Podcast, not from the corner of Glenway and Monroe and not from the Give Me Some Truth Studios. This week, we talked Tucson, Wad Landon, and discussed the playoffs picture. Uh, as always, I'm by, joined by the two Robbies to my Rebecca Lowe, uh, Kyle Carr, the hardest Mac working man in Madison sports podcasting, and Dan Fallon, who is back from Fallon Springer. In honor of Transfer Deadline Day, Dan, Kyle, if you could transfer to any other podcast in the universe, what podcast would you transfer to and why? Deep thoughts. Now, we know that the answer is not League One Unfiltered for reasons that we're going to discuss coming up. But, uh, you know, Kyle as well, you have the whole uh, sort of, uh, you know, basketball podcast universe available to you as well, I would imagine. But uh, making it, you know, anything you guys uh, want here. Hmm. I think if I could keep up with a certain individual, the right time with Bomani Jones would be my choice because I think being able to talk with him would be awesome. I would not be able to catch up with him. He is way too smart for me. He is way too, he's just much better of a person and podcaster than I ever will be, but that would be a fun show to get transferred to. That'd be, Uh, that'd be a giant career lead for me. I I really like the show that he did with, um, uh, uh, the right. Well, he does the right time. That's his podcast. What was the show that he did? Oh, high noon. uh, Yeah. Was that with Pablo Torre? Was that the, yeah, yeah, that that was was a great show. show. And it, you know, probably, uh, too smart for, uh, its own good. Uh, you know, as, as me fond of misquoting HL Mencken has, has said, uh, no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the, the American people. Uh, Dan, if, if you could be transferred to any podcast, uh, what would you be, be transferred to? I was, uh, I was thinking maybe men and blazers so I could get a bunch of free gear from the flock and never talk about them on the show. <laughs> <laughs> is that perhaps who we perhaps uh we're we're calling out chairman schmidt uh called out perhaps via subtweet perhaps i i have no idea i have no idea can't no confirm one, nor deny uh, no. you know as as more fits my brand i could tell you what podcast i'd never want to be on the grant fucking wall podcast <laughs> the next time that guy says something interesting will be the first time that's uh that's my take on that um uh, I, I think uh, I like the second captain's podcast that they do uh, out of the Irish times. Ken early is a really good uh, commentator on, on soccer and sports. Uh, also my grateful dead love would, would love an appearance on the 36 from the vault podcast, which I've been mm-hmm. listening to. Uh, so those, those are a couple of, couple of options and then start the week from the BBC is one of my favorite podcasts as well. Um, you know, they had Margaret Atwood on a couple of weeks ago, which, you know, if I could hang out with Margaret Atwood, that would be, that would be rather cool. Here we have, you know, Nobel Prize candidate uh, for literature in Margaret Atwood and Keith Ponywa's random schmuck from Wisconsin. Uh, so uh, we were going to actually delve deep into the pod, uh, into uh, uh, the playoff picture with Weston Shelton uh, of the League One podcast um, crossover. We're going to do some cross content hashtag. Now let's, let's provide our listeners with a little bit of backstory. Weston has literally been begging us to be on the pod. He's like, Oh, we're going to come out for a match. We want to do a drunk pod. Uh, And I was like, we're sober podcasters here at at forwards backwards. We are not drunk podcasters. It's just not what we do. We respect our listeners time too much to do a drunk podcast. Do we? Uh, no, that's news. No. That's news to me. <laughs> that's news to our listeners as well. I'm sure. Um, but you know, no, we're not doing a drunk pod. But begs, pleads, says nice things about us just to butter us up to get on. And I said, finally, Weston, I'm just sick of putting up with your crap. We'll have you on. I said I'm about as excited to have you on as we were when we had you know the USL PR flack on. But we're going to do it anyway. You know, hopefully I don't feel as dirty afterwards having you on. And then at 4.30 today, what does Weston do? Sends me a message on Twitter. Doesn't even have the decency after we send him an email invite to respond via email. Says, oh, I, I got to work, guys. Uh, sorry. Sorry, bro. Like, Weston, you're I think, to us. 
Weston, if I catch you tweeting about the French Open or any other sporting event, I will yell at you more than I already have. I feel like we're getting big times here because, you know, we're uh, we're a corporate club in a corporate league. And maybe some of his uh, some of his Lansing common uh, comrades sent him a DM saying that he can't he can't be smirched the good name of a fan owned club by coming on our our uh, our Walmart podcast. We are we are the official podcast of sellouts everywhere. Um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, and let me tell you this: if Dan could get us a sponsor, I would gladly sell out. Hell, I mean, we sold out last week for State Line Distillery, and they haven't provided us with anything. So actually, uh, that one—that's one I could work on. I know John, uh, the owner and head distiller there, very well. Um, but uh, you know, my. My previous track record suggests we will still be paying for our gin and vodka moving forward. Uh, well, you, you uh, I mean, didn't, didn't guys who like weren't even in the sales department outsell you in your career at Forward Madison, Dan? Well, yeah, I think I, I shared the other day that the pretend, well, you know, I don't know how much of this is supposed to be public, but I think the, the kit sponsorship was, was kind of happened upon by someone in the ticket sales department. So they were, much more uh, adept at their job, both of their, their regular job and my job. So, uh, yeah, there's a reason Dan is no longer there. Uh, So, you know, periodically during the show, maybe the rage will bubble back up and I'll have to stop everything else and yell at Weston. Um, But uh, on, on the flip side, uh, I wanted to take a moment um, to sort of talk about um, Landon Donovan um, and his response uh, as head coach of, of the San Diego Loyal. Um, I think many people know that I'm not a huge player Landon Donovan fan. Um, you know, I, I think Chairman Schmidt called him Blandon uh, and, uh, when he was giving him kudos, and I would agree with that. I think the fact that, you know, he declared Mexico his second favorite team or something in exchange for some cash struck me as perhaps the worst sellout of all time. And, uh, you know, more uniquely American. Uh, and well, you know, uh, (laughs) generally kind of lays bare my, my critique of him that he wasn't, you know, wasn't a killer. Uh, if you wanted one player to, you know, play for your team against the invading aliens, uh, from the U S perspective, I'm still going with Clint Dempsey. Um, and he's my number one for greatest American player. But um, and, and this commendation of Landon Donovan uh, goes along with, um, you know, so, some people when they respond on Twitter, you would see something like, oh, you know, this this behavior has no place. And, and what I'm talking about uh, in in particular is uh, San Diego Loyal played uh, the Phoenix Rising in a match last week. Um, a player from uh, the Phoenix Rising uh, called out uh, or uh, basically called uh, uh, a player, um, Colin, um, and, and I'm blanking on the last name, guys, Martin, so Martin from uh, Phoenix Rising, a homophobic slur. And Landon Donovan came through and, and pulled his team off the field and said, you know, basically gave an ultimatum, uh, either you take this player off the field or we're going to take our team uh, off the field. And, you know, when people say things like, this has no place in soccer, they're absolutely correct. But the reality of it is this stuff does take place right now in soccer. And I think one of the things that um, both the Black Lives Matter movement and you know, the general awareness about things like homophobia is it is incumbent on coaches and managers now to, first of all, talk to their teams, figure out what their team, how their team, how every player on their team and respect every player's voices, you know, uh, and, and put together an atmosphere that every player can share how they feel. Um, how the team should react in these situations. And the reason I say that is because not every, you know, we, we say, well, Landon Donovan, you know, pulling the team off the field is 100% not 
you know, is 100% the right response. But I think every African-American, every uh, homosexual athlete, every minority athlete may have a different perspective. And you want to honor that perspective. There may be some who will say, no, you know, I want to score three goals on this fucking asshole. And that is, you know, their feeling. But I think it's incumbent on the coaches who unfortunately are, you know, when you look at the composition of teams on the field are overwhelmingly white. Um, There's no excuse at this point in this day and age to not have a game plan in place that you talk to your team uh, about what are we going to do if this situation happens, because you want that there, there, you, you know, while they don't have a place, they shouldn't have a place. These things take place. Um, and you know, look, whether we like to admit it or not, there's a culture of homophobia in, in locker rooms. And that's why there's only one openly out gay player in American soccer and it's Colin Martin. And so it's one, you have to make sure that we, uh, you know, as a team, as a club, your, your team, um, you know, sets, sets up rules for how you're going to behave. Their rules developed with the input of, of your players of color, your, uh, you know, gay and, and bisexual and transgender athletes on your team. And that, that you follow them, that you don't let the heat of the moment take you away and so that you end up on the other side of the 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 coin, like uh, you know the Phoenix Rising guy who who very clearly was excusing this language, even you know even if um, he didn't think the guy said anything wrong, his response was an excusing of homophobic taunting, and that is you know much much that's that's terrible so plaudits to landon donovan um for for taking that action you know unfortunately they've had two incidents in two weeks so they probably had to have these sorts of discussions because of that but this should be it it should be incumbent on the unfortunate like i said unfortunately overly white coaches and management to have these conversations and prepare for these situations there's no excuse not to um and so I'd, I'd be interested in, you know, I've kind of ranted here, but to hear, you know, uh, Dan and, and Kyle, your sort of thoughts on these issues as well. I think one line that really stood out to me that Landon Donovan had said when the video got released of halftime and the back and forth is he said, I can't do this shit again. And you mentioned it where it happened, I think not even less than a week. Um, there was a player on LA Galaxy 2 that use a racial slur towards a black player. The, the loyal found out after the match ended and they decided we're not even going to take this point. We're going to forfeit it. So for this to happen again, right after it is an issue. And also Phoenix, what Phoenix rising has done and is doing is inexcusable. I think, you know, if you're going to use any hate speech, you got to not only be released for the team should be suspended from the league and barred from the federation that you're playing in, in my opinion, because if you want to set this message, if you want to say, you know, this has no place in the game, it's already there. And you got to make sure you eliminate those that are there. So trying to excuse it and trying to, you know, if the coach wants to say he's trying to defend his player, there are some things you defend your player on, you know, if there's a tackle that maybe wasn't a red card, sure. You defend your player. If maybe they're doing, you know, maybe they're, bending the rules a little bit. Sure. You try and defend your player, but when they're saying something hateful, when they're throwing slurs around that you don't defend it, you shouldn't defend it. You can't defend it. And the fact that the ref heard Osler be used and which is why he gave the card initially and the player and the coach are trying to backtrack and defend. It's like, you, you can't do that. The, the referee heard it because he gave the card to Colin Martin initially and tried sending him off. And the, when he found out what happened, the ref reversed course and you know, Props to the, the loyal. They've been backing up the talk. You know, there's a lot of teams that put out a statement, talk about how black lives matter and we care about pride and we stand for all these things, but you know, the loyal actually stuck to it. They're like, you know, we'll take two losses. And now they're not in the playoffs based off of those points loss that could have, I mean, did not make the playoffs because you gave up four points and they were winning. 
this Phoenix rising game too. This was, you know, they were winning three to one. They were in control. They didn't have to, you know, walk away. And they could have taken the three points, rub it in their, like rub salt in the wound, but they decided it's not worth it. And to me, that says more. They're actually walking the walk and talking the talk. And I give them props, but at the same time, you know, this shouldn't be something that we're talking about in 2020. It, it just shouldn't be. And the fact that USL has basically failed to acknowledge or give any proper statement, the fact that LA Galaxy 2 took way too long to make their statement, releasing a player that threw the racial slur, and then they went to a reporter to give a more detailed statement is a problem. The fact that the coach and the player were of Phoenix Rising were trying to double down and say this didn't happen or, you know, things are taken out of hand is a problem. The fans of both these teams are not seeing the problem and people in general that don't see the problem. That's the issue that needs to be rooted out and kicked out of the game. So, you know, it's disappointing to see that a team took the stand and they can't be in the playoffs because USL didn't properly handle it. And I know there was some insensitivity training or something that got escalated because of this, but I don't know. It's, I give all the credit to Landon Donovan and the loyal and their staff and the players. I give them all the props in the world for handling this as well as they can, but it's disappointing from Phoenix rising. It's disappointing from LA galaxy too. It's disappointing from USL championship, USL as a whole. And it's disappointing from the Federation. If you really want to say you care about these people, then you need to show that those that don't care about these people have no place and shouldn't be playing in the league or the country. And that's all I really got. Dan, anything to. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you guys both covered it really well. I think, you know, to me, this was, this is one of the examples of, like you said, Kyle, backing up the talk. Um, There's been so many people that have jumped on this bandwagon of, you know, putting out statements, having diversity nights, doing all of these things. But then when it really, really comes down to it, you know, it it all starts to feel like a marketing ploy or just, you know, you're doing it because, you know, you kind of got to do it as a club and as a league. And um, I think this situation lays bare that it was left to a manager and a team to have to make a statement and make a decision about this when that decision should have been um, taken care of by somebody else. Uh, So I give them all the credit in the world. I give Landon Donovan. I know I've defended him previously to you, Keith, just in general, but um, I'm incredibly impressed by the way they handled this. They made, and I think they, what they've done is they've really shined a light on the fact that there are just a lot of people still out there who are, you know, they're only half in on this. They're ha- they're in on the, you know, the, the, the parts of it that make it, make the clubs look good and make the league look good. But when it really comes down to it, I think they really don't want to have to make really difficult decisions. And the fact that, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about look, it. I, I mean, the, I, the, half time, the, 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 the interaction between Landon and the coach of Phoenix rising was now, my understanding, and not to kind of get into all the details of this, but it sounded like, you know, there was a misunderstanding on the field. Colin Martin was well, trying to explain to the ref. Leave, let's leave aside that situation yeah. and kind of bring yeah. it back to, you know, our focus here is a little bit, and I think Kyle brings it up, the USL. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, we we absolutely. had, you know, we had PR flack Ryan Madden on here, and we asked him directly, how are we going to know you know, that this is not just lip service, all this black lives matter. What are you guys concretely doing to improve the situation of African-Americans, people of color, uh, you know, uh, people of different sexual orientations than, than, you know, the heteronormative, what are you doing to actually put that in place? And we got a bunch of waffly baloney, quite frankly. I mean, and now here's a chance for the, for the league to step up and show And, you know, I think as well, you know, one of the things I may disagree with you on Kyle, just from, you know, is a lot of legal, there's always a lot of legal wrangling whenever you go to fire someone. And, you know, so it may take a little bit more time and I'm in favor of fans pressuring clubs to speed up the process. But I also understand that there's, you know, HR departments as it were (laughs) that you, you know, even for soccer clubs that you have to document your case and you want to make sure you're doing it right so that you don't, you know, get sued later on. 
But I, I think there's no excuse from the league not saying we're going to suspend this guy while the investigation pens. That's or, our or why not or why not have in your league laws that if it's clear that a player has been abused based on race, religion, sexual orientation, any of those things, the team that the game's over immediately forfeited in their direction. Or why didn't like, why you know why hasn't USL League One come back and said, "Hey, we want to get you know the loyal these points, you know, right. or figure out a way to get them yeah. the, these points." Why haven't they yep. done any of those things? Because as you said, Kyle, they don't, or Dan, I forget which one of you now. I think we both said it. Yeah. They don't want to make any hard decisions. I mean, and so, you know, look, we're, we're in this league. It's what we're stuck with, but you can still criticize it from within, um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's frustrating to me from that perspective that, you know, there's just a lot of, of you know, talking out of both sides of your mouth. Or like, you know, most of American corporations, you want, you want to, you know, hashtag BLM when it's really easy for you. But when you're put in this situation, you start waffling or trying to sweep it under the, you know, uh, under the rug. And that, that angers me even in in some sense more than, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, coach screwing up or any of that, you're a league. This is your job. This is why you get these fees, right? Is to handle these controversial issues and handle them adroitly. And they're, they're just going, eh, we're going to ignore it. It's fine. We're division two soccer. You know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to notice. We'll get away with it. And that seems to be their, their model. And I think that's, that's crap. Um, frankly, uh, any other last thoughts? Uh, Dan, I sort of cut you off there because you were going to start breaking down YouTube videos early from the <laughs> no, time. Yeah, we don't need to go into the whole thing. I, it, I think that interaction, though, between Landon and the other coach, whether there was, you know, clearly they had had a conversation at halftime about this is what ha- we, this is what happened. We're giving you an opportunity to take this guy off the field and we will continue to play this game. They refused to do that. And then whether or not the coach completely understood what was going on there to, to say to him, like to basically imply that, listen, man, it's a soccer game. Shit happens. You know, we'll figure it out later. And also then to quest, you know, and I, I said this to you the other night, Keith, like to, like to question Landon Donovan, whatever you think of Landon Donovan and say, how long have you been playing soccer? Yeah. I'm like, who the fuck is Frank Schantz? I don't know who the fuck this guy is. Like, Landon Donovan has played in multiple World Cups. He's played for big clubs in Europe. He's like, you know, the disrespect. He's played forever. To try and belittle. A big club in Europe. Yeah, well, <laughs> Bayern Munich, Bayern Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, but to to belittle, to, 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 to minimize the situation and belittle the other coach, um, I think just shows, you know, like, to me, it's smacked of that whole, like, you know, one of the problems that sports are always going to have this machismo, this, this very kind of macho male culture of like, Oh, come on, fucking buck up. Like this isn't a big deal. Um, and so I, and again, I give Landon all the credit in the world for sticking to his guns and saying like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to accept this. We don't have to accept it. So he he showed a, a a fortitude that I did not think he had. How's that? (laughs) Nice. You ended with a little backhanded compliment. Uh, That's, you know, and now we can move on. So now, uh, in, in lighter matters, uh, in a match that had real, uh, Tuesday night away, rainy night away at Stoke field, uh, Madison and Tucson, uh, Phoenix risings, uh, uh, underling club, uh, Finished oh, yeah. in a, a nil-nil draw at Hart Park uh, on Saturday night. Uh, Without incident that we're aware of. No, uh, other than uh, we're, we'll talk about. Uh, well, and we have three key points. Thanks for Kyle, the hardest working man in Madison podcasting, who has taken this on his workload. He's generating the three three key points for us. The, the, one of them was, in fact, that without incident of uh you know racist or homophobic taunting but there were six yellow cards and kyle you brought up the fact that this was a pretty chippy eight i thought eight for phoenix oh six for six for tucson three yeah yeah, six for for tucson 
two for Madison, eight total. Uh, this was a really physical and chippy match, Kyle. Yeah, it was. I'm surprised Madison only had two. And granted, they got one very early. Um, I think it was Wolsh got it when he ran into the keeper. And the keeper is down for a while. And I think, I don't want to say that set the tone, but it definitely was a more physical match. And if you watch, I mean, even going back to that Wednesday, the midweek that Ford Madison lost in Tucson, that one was pretty physical as well. And, you know, with both these teams, more so with Madison, they're fighting to make a playoff spot. Tucson still technically is in contention. Technically, I don't think they're eliminated yet. But, you know, when you got this kind of high stakes match going on, it, it was a lot more physical. Both teams were battling for the ball. It, there wasn't much on the ball for either team. Tucson is a team that wants to counter. Madison is a team that similarly wants to counter, but also want to press, but also doesn't want to do that. But also we don't know exactly what's going on right now. Um, <laughs> there's a little, yeah, there was a little bit of an identity confusion. Uh, yeah. So there, it was definitely more physical. You can tell with the fouls that were called. And I think, you know, you look at the number of yellow cards and the ref was not going to let it be as physical. And there was never a play that justified a red card. There's never a play that, you know, there was no line that was crossed. There's no harsh, harsh cards that were given. Every card seemed to be fair and consistent, which is a good thing for the referee. But at the same time, it definitely seemed like they weren't going to let the game escalate. And, you know, with how the game turned out with no shots on target, with no clear cut chances, it was a lot of the balls in the air and you're battling for it. And, Sometimes you get an elbow to the back. Sometimes, you know, someone comes in a little bit later. Sometimes a slide tackle may come in. And there are definitely a lot of moments where I was, I shouted ref and then immediately the ref came over and gave a card. And it's like, okay, yep. that's all you can do. But yeah, it was definitely a physical match and it was more so, I felt like a rugby match at times than a soccer match at Hard Park. And, and do they have the rugby line on the pitch at Hart Park? Do we know? Probably. I think that might be the only sport they don't have. <laughs> yeah. I think Quidditch, Quidditch is there. They have, they, they have the Quidditch lines. Um, and, you know, interestingly, Madison, we committed 20 fouls to Tucson's 12. So despite the fact that I guess ours were a little more, uh, uh, maybe a little less dangerous, uh, you know, we, and, and the only, other, the only person I thought maybe was treading a, a, a really tight rope was, uh, was Fito. I think he got away with one, yeah. <clears throat> I think in the first half and then almost immediately had another foul that I was like, Oh, here it comes. And he didn't get it. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was another match where I think you two have already said it was, you know, what were we trying to accomplish offensively? I think the longer the season's gone on, I'm less convinced that, you know, are, are we utilizing or does Woj fit into the way we want to play given that he seems to be more of a, you know, a target big man. I think he wants service probably getting coming in from the wings, probably getting balls crossed into him. That's not really the way we attack. Normally we attack, generally a little bit more narrow once we get kind of into the final third. Um, and it's just, it's just interesting. Like we, you know, you, if you look back, we've never, what I would look today, we've, we've never scored two goals in a game. We've scored one, three and four and zero. We've been shut out four times. And so we have these just like these turgid matches where we just can't seem to really get anything going. And then other games where it's like, you know, we seem to score for fun and, uh, Saturday was definitely one of those games where we were not, it didn't look like we were going to get a goal. No. And, and that's kind of our second key point that, that uh, um, Kyle brought up. He used the term uh, firing blanks and uh, we'll talk about the turgidity because I'm working on uh, the, we'll talk about that uh, in point four, but uh, he used the term firing blanks uh, to describe it. And what I would uh, said, were there even blanks fired? because I think Madison had one shot on target all match. Uh, Tucson had none on target all match. Um, and I think you bring up an interesting point. And one of the things that I was a little bit frustrated with is I thought we had worked out a pretty solid midfield three, which was Eric deep uh, with JC and Michael Vang ahead of him. Um, we, we rotated a little bit last week, which I understood, right? Short, short week, short turnaround. I mean, almost less than 72 hours between the match. 
you can't expect 30 year old legs to maybe pull the full 90. So I understood why we did a little squad rotation last week, but then we get a full week off and we start a midfield of Leonard Ovalle and uh, Vang in a match where we need to win. And Banks and, and Vang have, have shown the most, I think, attacking prowess. This seemed to uh, Ovalle is maybe a little bit more of an eight, um, but can also play in the DCM six role. Um, but he's not the attack. He doesn't have the attack, attacking capabilities to my mind of um, banks. And all of a sudden we're, we're shifting around the midfield. And I thought, you know, while Woj maybe not loving the, the level of service he's getting created a chance last week that Vang finished off. He scored, you know, a couple of goals this year. He's had a couple of assists. Um, you know, as you integrate him in, I thought he was, you know, and, and Don and uh, Paulo Jr. are both provi- capable of providing service. So I just, uh, from a tactical perspective, going into it, who they started, I didn't feel great on on that, you know, from that perspective. Kyle, I don't know how you felt um, and what you saw. I feel like the problem was they seemed to get to the final third and they can't get that killer ball. They can't get that last ball to really go in their favor. It seems like, you know, Don or Paul will put a cross in, but it's not quite a good enough cross. Or Walsh will have it at the top of the box, and it seems like instead of trying to shoot it, maybe he's looking out wide to Don or Paulo to kind of get that cross back in. You know, it just seems like they're with it felt like Vang had to do most of the creating for the midfield because I Ovai is more of a I don't want to say box box, but he's kind of more of the guy that he's going to go back and forth. He's going to put in more of the tackles, but he can still hit a shot from distance, as we saw with his first goal against Revs too. So if you give him space, he can at least get a shot off. And it just seemed like a lot. It was very narrow because you have Don and Paul who do prefer cutting in from the wing if they can and they have the space to do it. And it just seems like, you know, we didn't get much Jiro and Pato to overlap. And I think that's something that last year, you know, with Carter Manley and Pato, they were able to do a lot of overlapping and providing those crosses when Don and Paulo would cut in. And I feel like that just hasn't happened in this game and all season long. It, it felt like a lot of the shots were just half shots and shots that you're kind of just hoping the keeper either spills and he can get a rebound similar to the goal that Vang scored against uh, Chattanooga. You're kind of hoping that maybe they go the wrong way or it, it just seemed like you were just hoping that you can get the second effort and not necessarily putting in a good first shot, which is why there's only one shot on target. And, you know, Tucson was kind of the same approach. They were hoping to go on a counter, maybe test Brady, test his shots, stop an ability and hope that again, he parries it to another player that they can get three. It just seemed like both teams are hoping to get a rebound goal instead of getting the shot, a good clear chance on target. But I think with the fire and blanks, also give props to the defense. You know, that back line didn't give any clear cut chances to Tucson compared to last week where, you know, Tucson had a few moments, one shot hit the crossbar, one and two of them were going in, but otherwise they did a, they did a really good job, all things considered. So it at least makes you feel better in that regard. The defense seems to, they've seemed to get, put it all together. They seem to be doing exactly what they need to, but in the final third, it just seems like, there's just a lack of a killer ball or a lack of that end product. Dan, anything to, to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Kyle pointed out, I think the one thing look back at last season, this season, the amount of productivity we're getting from the outside backs has really dropped off. I think early in the season, we were singing Jiro's praises. I think he was, he was really active. He was, I scored goals. He was creating goals. Um, and it just doesn't seem like they've been able to drag those guys into the play as much uh, as, as I would think they're hoping to, because it, it just seemed like that was often some of our most productive work last year was when the, yeah, when the, the, the wide forwards or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call Apollo and Don would kind of cut in and the outside backs would overlap, get forward create an, create an overload on one side. Uh, and that's just not happening as much. Um, and, you know, it seems like we've, our press kind of changes from week to week. Uh, and again, this is where like, I, you know, Woj doesn't strike me as like a pressing machine. Like that's, you know, he's a, he's a big guy. He's not going to, 
you know, and often it's Mike Vang who kind of goes beyond him as the, as the press trigger. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen when like Noah Fuson has come on, Fuson, he's got a little bit more about him in terms of kind of putting the back line under pressure. But um, it's just, you know, like there's just certain games where we just really seem to struggle to create anything uh, to see any kind of pattern of play or what we're trying to accomplish. And, uh, and then it tends to get very sloppy very quickly. But I think Kyle's point, you know, we, we are second in the league in goals conceded. Now we, you know, we have games in hand on a couple of people, but, you know, Greenville, who is just, you know, obviously dominating everyone has only conceded six goals. We've conceded nine. So defensively, we've actually been very, very good. Uh, and, you know, all you needed to know, all you needed to see was the save of the game the other night, which was Chris Brady picking up a ball that <laughs> came <laughs> rolling into the box. I don't know if anyone saw that after the yeah. game. Uh, that gives you a pretty good idea of how uh, how dangerous Tucson was on the evening. But really, our best chance of the night was Josiah Trimingham hitting the post with, uh, yeah. with a great curling effort. And if if we're relying on Josiah to score from... 30 yards out with his right boot. Uh, be you know, he was, he was, he was 20, 22, but you know, 40, 40. I think it was closer than that. It was kind of top of the D. Um, but if you're counting on Josiah Trimmingham to, and that was some true number nine target man play. Cause he took that on the turn and just cracked it. Um, you know, that's, that's some true. I mean, is, is Josiah a true number nine based on that evidence? Yes, he is. Well, I was going to say, with that attempted shot and the cross that he put in to Paul in the last Tucson match, he might be. He might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, Kyle, you for the third point, you brought up the idea of frantic play, but it almost sense, seems to me that it's more directionless play, um, that it seems frantic because sometimes you just – you it seems chaotic because you can't put together a, a kind of underlying pattern of play. You know, one of the things you would have hoped, and you brought this up, it was very narrow last night. You would have hoped maybe, you know, we need, we need goals. We need to win matches. We need three points. Richmond handed us a little bit of an opening and we didn't take it. And you would have hoped maybe at halftime when you see the match very narrow, you start letting Pato and, and Giro start to attack those wide spaces more. But it seems like, specifically with Pato, they haven't, and I don't know if he's not finding the, the opportunities, they're telling him to go when he sees it, and he's just not finding it. But we're not seeing the, the overlaps from him like we did last year. And, you know, Carter Manley was perfect in that role because he would st- stick to that channel. And I think Jiro will tend to work inside a little bit more like Don does. And it'd be nice to see you know, then if he works inside, Don moves out to the out, you know, outward space and you're filling up all those channels. But Jiro also has the, the ability to put in a cross and get get wide. So at halftime, that's the kind of adjustment that you're hoping that, that they make. So I'm not ready to go full hashtag Hulavati out quite yet. But I, I was feeling a little disappointed with it. Well, it just felt like, there wasn't a string of passes there. It just seemed like there was never any buildup. It seemed if they got the ball, either launch it forward, hope that Wolf gets it. Maybe you get someone on a counterattack, which is fine. If your plan is a counterattack, but it felt like they would try that at first. And then if that didn't work, then they would get a few passes and Don or Paul would try and make something out of nothing or Mike Fang would make something out of it. It just didn't seem like, it didn't seem coherent. It seemed as though you're either launching it forward and hoping for the best, or you put in two, three passes and hope that Don and Paul do the rest or Mike Fang does the rest. And that's, I think why I said it was frantic because it just felt like despite having a lot of the ball, they didn't really do anything with it. It didn't feel as though I could see something happening. It was more of a, you hope for the best. And if it happens, it happens, which I, I don't think that's what the team is trying to go for. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels as though there's no consistency in terms of buildup. It just seems a hope for the best kind of approach or let your player do something amazing or let your, your talented attackers make something out of nothing, which yes. And can, it can work against some teams. It can work against an OCB. It can work against a revs too, as we saw it can work in certain situations, but 
with a team that apparently won't give you and they've created enough chances in the road match against Tucson that they should have finished. Now you kind of come back and maybe it's the weather, maybe it's the field, but it just felt as though it was like a do something and we'll figure it out from there. I mean, in, in, you know, the defense, that method of uh, coaching attacking has worked quite well for Jose Mourinho over his career, though, you know, we've seen it kind of start breaking down. What you were describing also, you know, makes me think a little bit of Manchester United right now, where if the team can play on the counterattack there, they can be great. Um, But if you're not facing a team and I think you have to know going in Tucson on the road in the rain, they're going to bunker down a little bit. I mean, they didn't really risk a lot with their attacks. And so then you have to start thinking, okay, how are we going to break down this team? And that, you know, scoring on the counter, you know, you can, you can train the town, the counter, but breaking down a team is hard. It's tough. It's, you know, frequently a frustrating thing, Dan. And so I was a, a little worried that we didn't see that there. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And, um, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. Cause it was, it was another kind of frustrating match to watch. And given what had happened to Richmond earlier in the day, you're thinking, okay, like we can really lay down a marker here. And, and now things get really tricky because they start playing a lot of matches in a really short amount of time. And, um, you know, obviously we can talk about playoffs, but it's, you know, the window is, uh, is really, really Well, tight. we're not going to talk mean, about playoffs because that's why we're going to have a guest on tonight, you know, Weston from League One Unfiltered to give us the, the full, uh, you know, tour to horizon, as they say, of all of, of League One and the playoff picture. And Weston's a stats guy, but you know what he's not? He's not a goddamn calendar guy. Because if I say 5 o'clock on Monday – you best be there at five o'clock on Monday, Weston. Don't 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 give me this crap. Did you get the time zone mixed up? Is that the problem? Maybe. Maybe you know. Maybe uh, you know. This level of incompetence should not shock me. Uh, though Dan and and Kyle, what I wanted to bring up is Chairman Schmidt asked me, where does this fall on the KP SOT? And that would be the Keith Ponywise scale of turgitude. And so I think we need to start coming up with like. What's a zero turgitude and what's a 10? I think a 10 is very clearly any match against Greenville because that is like the platonic ideal of turgitude is a Greenville triumph forward Madison match. What is a zero? And I would say this is very much, uh, I'm going to say that this comes in at maybe an eight, but what's a zero from a forward Madison perspective? Is it New England Revolution match? Is it, um, you know, I'd say the Tormenta home match. Yeah. The North Texas match last year. North Texas last year. Messing with Texas is probably a zero. That's a zero. Yeah, because that was just that was just great fun. Um and we were in person for that one too. I was not there, so maybe that's why I didn't give that one a zero. Yeah. Um (laughs) I think COVID starts matches on a higher, like you're just automatically at like a three on a turgitude scale. Um, because you you don't have the crowd excitement, you don't have the flock end going bonkers. It it turgids it turgids it's up. Um, but I will say a wet, rainy night at Hart Park is like an eight on the turgitude scale. So I would say this is like an eight uh, in terms of turgitude. Thank you, Charmin Schmidt. Uh, please don't offer any further suggestions to the podcast. Um, yeah, I'd probably give so- a seven and a half for an eight when I think about it. I can't think of any – The again, the best chance was Josiah Trimingham's shot. Yeah. And that was a fuck it, let's just see what happens. Yep. Or at least that's what it appeared. It was a fuck it, we're going to hope for the best. While all the other shots that Ford Madison had and all the corners were – especially at the end. There was one corner at the end that didn't even clear the first player. I was like, this is 2015 Liverpool-esque where you can't cross <laughs> – you can't cross oh, yeah. past the first guy. It was yeah. – that kind of night it was that kind of turgid so yeah, yes yeah eight eight is a good eight, one eight i might even go eight and a half but you know i'm not going that far because i feel like when i when it's, that's like getting to we're playing greenville yeah uh, what i'll say is if this had taken place on like a wednesday night and this was the, i think you just midweek you add a little bit extra to the turgitude scale you're just like ugh. you know it just you're going into it already like i can't drink and watch this match you know 
uh, well, I can't drink to my normal levels and watch this match. <laughs> you know, I can't do the 32 ounce beers at Breeze Stevens levels. And so it's just automatically going to be a little more turgid for me as a spectator as well. But at the same time, like you put your like night, this is your Saturday night. Like I'm going to watch this match. And then you get that. And it's like, what the hell? I could have done so, so many other things during that time. Well, like, so some good news for Saturday. I don't know if you, if you guys know. Well, know first of all, are... no, right now, Kyle, you can't do anything better. Uh, cause you're locked in your house essentially. And, and yeah, but this, this is two, I'm 40 some years old at this point, Kyle, I've got nothing better. And I've experienced, you know, disappointing Saturday nights, my entire existence at this point. So, you know, I'm judging it on, can I at least, you know, have a, a couple more beers than usual while watching the match. That's fair. <laughs> so this was, I think this weekend's match though, was set up for maybe a lower is it a lower score on the turgidity scale? Yeah. You want a lower because, scale. Because they are they are going to bring some away fans who apparently are totally cool with traveling uh, during a pandemic. And the owner of the club has already offered to buy the first round of beers for everybody at the bar they're, they're meeting at. So I guess he will also be traveling uh, during the pandemic <laughs> to, to Hart Park. So I guess that's great news. I mean, you know, because if I was traveling to an away match during this pandemic, I would definitely pick Wisconsin in October where our COVID numbers are excellent. excellent. They are 10. They are 10 out of 10 oh, yeah. on the scale. We have been just killing it in terms of COVID. No turgidity in terms of our COVID spread. No. Um, look, uh, some might say it's even the also let's be honest let's be honest <laughs> dan uh having seen how um uh mayonnaise american i believe is the term used by certain uh, members of the flock to describe their their support uh they're pretty bland uh we'll say i don't think they're up in they're they're lowering the turgitude score i think okay. they're the turgitude score because uh, they're they're Supporter group seems uh, a little turgid. Let's just say a little turgid. Uh, speaking of say, between that and some of the League One unfiltered people, Cameron and Weston are both coming. So that will add to it. It's right now we're at least sitting at a three or four to start with. How that match goes after that, I don't know, but it's, a, it's starting at three or four. Well, Cameron being there, you know, that's going to add points. I like Cameron. Uh, Weston is, I don't think he even, even rates on the turgitude scale. As far as I'm concerned, he is, he may be a negative. He made, you know, he may be a negative four turgitude. So all of a sudden, maybe this match is starting at negative one and it needs to, or he's no, he's a positive. He adds points. I was going to say, what like, be like yeah, yeah. I can't even figure out my own scale. He's like a seven or eight on the turgitude. This is like the heck, this is like the heckin scale all over oh, yeah. again, where we, yeah. We had to decide where we decided to write a five was the most hecking because you're, yeah, that's mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is a five. Yeah. Yeah. So Sriracha is a 10. Definite, you know, on the hecking scale, Union Omaha is a perfect five. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, I think there's no doubt. I'm glad we brought back the hecking scale. Uh, You know, (laughs) that's maybe the most offensive thing we've done. And so, you know. Uh, speaking of offensive, Dan, uh, you uh, went to a state uh, that actually does a decent job of, of their COVID supply. But in your travels out there on Fallen Springa, you did want to tell us about a certain road uh, that was really kind of the high point of your trip. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're, you're traveling along, um, you know, you pass those underpasses and, you know, it's they, you know, on Highway 90. Um, and you, you know, you see these road names and you think nothing of them. And then occasionally you drive under one and it's called Fang Boner Road. That would be spelled F-A-N-G-B-O-N-E-R. Fang Boner Road. Uh, this would have been in Ohio or Indiana. I, I really don't care to look it up to, to figure out which one it was. Those two states, pretty much the same to me. Uh, I was born in one of them and lived in the other one, so I can make fun of them. I think that's how this works. Um, All I will tell you is that he was some sort of successful agribusiness and community leader um, with the The worst headline when you Google Fang Boner Road is Fang Boner Road named for an industrious man. (laughs) 
think that and, just opens up so many possibilities. Like, was he was he perhaps uh, industrious with his fang boner? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. There's maybe. also a fang. There's also a fang boner farms. Yeah. That they're saying is get the unexpected. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but I looked it up on Urban Dictionary. Fang boner, a road near Toledo and some Sandusky, Ohio. Hey, we passed Fang Boner Road on our way to Cedar Point. There you go. I've so been to Cedar Ohio. Point. The big guy. Uh, Cedar Point. Then there was there was a there was a lengthy discussion between Keith, uh, myself, and one of the uh, Mediterranean Marauders whether you wanted to be in front of or behind the Fang Boner. <laughs> you definitely don't want to be under the Fang Boner. <laughs> I think that that much is clear. Uh, I used to go Sandusky, Ohio is like one of those places that I just feel is like the end of the earth. Um, but I used to go to summer camp, uh, soccer camp at, uh, in Delaware, Ohio, home of Ohio Wesleyan university. And the main road was Sandusky road. And if you set it in a local Sandusky road, uh, accent, it sounded like they were saying some dusty road was the main, yeah, you go down some dusty road and you take a right. And it, you know, made Delaware seem even more kind of middle of nowhere than it was. You flew into Columbus and drove like an hour. It'd be like going to soccer camp in, I guess, Platteville. Um, Sandusky, so. home of uh, home of Tommy Boy, though. So it does have a... Uh, well, let us know, say, all I can think of is with Sandusky, Ohio, is there's a Menards there that I hope burns to the ground from my previous job of employment. Um, it wasn't great. I had to do a project. It was awful. I hope that Menards burns to the ground because also fuck John Menard. Yeah, I think that that is. I agree a, with that. Yeah, I think that really is the great place for us to end this week. Fuck John <laughs> Menard, uh, and so we'll say until next time. Forwards, not backwards. Upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. <laughs> <laughs>